This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 79. I want to take a moment right now to thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes and anywhere else you might be listening to the show, and to remind you to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group, which I'll talk more about at the tail end of this episode. So this week, many of my listeners may not be aware, but on Monday of this week, Olympus announced that they will cease making cameras after 84 years in the business. This is really sad news, but not all that shocking, as I had predicted over the last two years that I felt they were one of the camera makers who would not survive the current downtrends in the camera sales in that market. Now, Olympus was established in 1919 as a Japanese maker of optics and imaging products, initially specializing in microscopes and thermometers. Today, Olympus holds around 70% of the global endoscope market, which is estimated to be worth around 2.5 billion U.S. dollars, and Olympus has its global headquarters located in Tokyo, Japan. In 2011, Olympus gained worldwide media scrutiny when it fired its CEO and the issue turned into a corporate corruption investigation, which resulted in multiple arrests and Olympus ended up paying $646 million in kickback fines. However, I don't want to dwell on the negative for this episode. I'm just giving my listeners a little bit of the historical information Uh, of the last few years. Now, in 1936, Olympus introduced its first camera called the Semi-Olympus One, which was fitted with the first Zuko-branded lens. The Olympus Chrome 6 was a series of folding cameras made by Takachiho and later Olympus from 1948 to 1956 in both the 6x4.5 cm and 6 by 6 centimeter exposures on 120 film. And I'll pause there for a moment. I apologize if I mispronounce any of these Japanese names in this episode. I'm not doing it to be disrespectful or anything. I just honestly am not 100% certain how their names are pronounced. Now, moving on, the first truly innovative camera to come from Olympus was the Pen in 1959 which used a half-frame format sensor taking 72 18 by 24 millimeter photographs on a standard 36 exposure 35 millimeter film cassette, which resulted in a camera that was compact and portable for the time. This was extremely innovative. The pen camera team, led by Yohisha Matani, would later create the OM system camera, which was a full-frame professional-built 35mm camera, SLR, designed to compete with Canon and Nikon's high-end cameras. This OM system started a trend towards more compact cameras and lenses with designs design features such as off-the-film metering and OTF flash automation. 
Over time, this line expanded to 14 different camera bodies and around 60 Zuko branded lenses and various camera accessories. So at this point in its history, Olympus was pretty much a heavy hitter. Um, starting with the pen in 1959 and moving up through the 60s, 70s, uh, Can- or, uh, Olympus was actually giving Canon and Nikon a decent run for their money. Uh, they, of course, weren't the biggest camera maker, but they were in the top three or four at least. Now, in 1983, Olympus, along with Canon, branded a range of video recording equipment made by JVC, and Olympus called theirs the Olympus Video Photography System. And they even hired renowned photographer Terrence Donovan to promote the line in ads and marketing material. A second edition system was released the following year, but this would be the last entry into the world of consumer video until digital cameras became popular and more mainstream. Tiyoshi Kikawa, who would later become president of Olympus, foresaw the spike in demand for DSLR cameras, and he is credited with the company's strategy into the digital photography market. He fought hard for commitments from Olympus to enter the market of high-resolution photographic products. Now, as a result of this, Olympus released an 810,000-pixel digital camera for the mass market in 1996, at a time when the majority of its rivals were offering less than half that resolution. In 1997, Olympus released a 1.41 megapixel camera, and by 2001, the company's turnover to digital cameras was in excess of 100 billion yen. Now, in addition to making compact digital cameras, Olympus is the designer of the four-third system standard for digital single-lens reflex cameras. Their four-thirds flagship camera is the E5, which was released in 2010. And Olympus is also the largest maker of four-third lenses under the Zuko digital brand. Now, originally, the Olympus cameras only used the proprietary XD picture cards. I remember those, and I hated them with a passion for storage media, but it was less popular than more common types of storage, such as SD and Compact Flash. So Olympus switched to these formats going forward. The most recent development development in Olympus is Olympus's focus on the micro four-thirds format. Unfortunately, with the latest decrease in camera sales over the last 10 years, Olympus said that despite its best efforts, the, quote, extremely severe digital camera market was no longer profitable, end quote. The arrival of smartphones, which had shrunk the market for separate camera systems, was one major factor, it said, and Olympus has recorded significant losses for the last three years. Now, if you remember, I've talked about this a bit in previous episodes of this show, and I had mentioned that I felt that Olympus, Panasonic possibly, as well as Nikon, could be all going the way of the dodo bird. All of the companies have been having a lot of struggles staying profitable in the last 8 to 10 years as the camera market has been shrinking more and more. There's a huge amount of effect, quote, there's a huge amount of affection for Olympus going right back, says Nigel Atherton, editor of Amateur Photographer Magazine. The 70s was a high point with their cameras advertised on television by celebrity photographers such as David Bailey and Lord Litchfield. 
These cameras were revolutionary. They were very small, very light, and they were beautifully designed with really nice quality lenses, adds Atherton. A cult following stayed with the firm despite teething issues with new technologies such as autofocus, Atherton, Atherton says, my apologies. But the firm had a second wave with digital cameras where they were the early adopters and captured a large share of the market. But they targeted their later range of mirrorless cameras at a middle market, quote, people who weren't serious photographers. They wanted something better than a point-and-shoot camera, but they didn't want a DSLR camera, end quote. Quote, that market very, very quickly got swallowed up by smartphones and turned out to no longer exist. The market for standalone cameras has fallen dramatically. By one estimate, it dropped 84% between 2010 and 2018. Quote, Olympus, I find a very frustrating company, Atherton continues. Continually over the last few years, they've constantly got it wrong, made wrong decisions, taken wrong turns, and gone down cul-de-sacs. One example he cited was the lack of progress in video performance where rivals have made massive strides. Olympus is now seeking to strike a deal to carve off the camera part of its business so that its brands, such as Zuko Lenses, can be used in new products by another firm, Japanese Industrial Partners. In a statement, the Japanese company said it was business as usual until then. Quote, we believe this is the right step to preserve the legacy of the brand, End quote, the statement said. On social media, however, its UK team accepted that fans, quote, may have many questions, end quote. We ask for your patience. Olympus sees this potential transfer as an opportunity to enable our imaging business to grow and delight both longtime and new photography enthusiasts. Olympus Corporation, however, will continue. The company has never stopped making microscopes, uh, or endoscopes, and has turned its op optical technologies to other scientific and medical equipment. So there you have it. Uh, like I said, it's really sad to see a major camera manufacturer going the way of the dinosaur, but as I mentioned before in this episode and in previous episodes, it was getting to the point where it was pretty much inevitable. Olympus had not been profitable for the last three straight years, and with the photography camera market shrinking more and more every year uh, only the big guns are going to be able to survive sony is still thriving canon's thriving fairly well in addition to sony um, and so is fuji but olympus panasonic nikon they're all struggling and pentax could possibly be going away down the road as well we're just going to have to wait and see but it is an extremely extremely sad piece of news to hear Olympus leaving the camera market after 84 years of production and innovation. Next up, there are still surprises in store for the Canon EOS R5 announcement. This is coming from CanonRumors.com. I have been told that there is one major new feature coming in the EOS R5 for photographers. Unfortunately, I spent the last couple of days trying to find out what that means with little success. We have seen some bold marketing claims in the past, so I don't want to get too exciting, but Canon is definitely keeps the still photography crowd wondering what's going to be in the EOS R5. 
I wish I had more, but July 9th, 2020 isn't too far off, so we'll know by then as a worst-case scenario. Now, July 9th of 2020 is the rumored date that Canon is going to have their press release, their virtual conference, uh, to announce the EOS R5 and R6, as well as some more RF mount lenses. So we'll have to wait and see what happens with that next Thursday. New firmware coming to the Canon EOS R5. I'm being told that the firmware update for the EOS R5 will be coming sometime before the end of July. As far as we can tell, the firmware update will be for bug fixes only. On the topic of the EOS R, a separate source has told us at Canon Rumors we can expect to see another Canon EOS R price drop before the end of September, likely priced at $1499 US. The camera will remain current to the EOS R lineup into 2021 at least, they are also being told at Canon Rumors. So that's definitely exciting. Good to know that the EOS R5 is still going to be available for purchase for the next year or so. I didn't think the Canon was going to retire at any time soon, even with the release of the EOS R5 and R6. And it's glad to hear that that's pretty much been confirmed. Here are some more Canon EOS R6 specifications from Canon Rumor. A little bit lost in the hype of the Canon EOS R5 is the Canon EOS R6. We broke the news of this model back in January and Canon hasn't done any sort of teasing for it. However, some early specs have remained true over the last few months and now we have more information about the upcoming EOS R6 body. The R6 is aimed squarely at people looking for a high ISO performance, great video specifications and priced right for a lot of shooters. Now, the Canon EOS R specifications, the new information is on their site in bold, and I'll share a link to this article in the show notes. 20 megapixel full-frame CMOS sensor, which we already knew, IBIS, which we already knew, 12 frames per second mechanical and 20 electronic, we already knew. New is oversampled 5K video, 4K at 60, which we already knew, full HD at 120p, which we already knew, Canon log, is new, 10-bit is a new item, zebras, AF identical to the EOS R5, no raw video mode, dual UHS-2 SD card slots, head detection AF, animal detection AF, identical 5 million dot EVF as the EOS R5. No top-down screen, which we already knew, just like the RP. Build quality not quite as good as the EOS R5. Bluetooth 4.2, the EOS R5 will get Bluetooth 5.0. The LPE6NH battery, same as the EOS R5. Announcement July 9th, 2020. And the rumored price is to be under $2,500. So that's pretty exciting. It looks like this camera is actually going to give users a lot of bang for their buck, especially with a considerably larger battery than what the EOS RP has. If you may remember, I mentioned in previous episodes, the EOS R uses the LPE6N battery, just like all of the 5D bodies did with the exception of the... Uh, the original 5D, as well as the SD, uh, 7D Mark II, and uh, the 90D and 80D all use that battery, as do the 1D or the 6D 1 and 2. Uh, however, the RP uses a considerably smaller battery. If I remember correctly, it's the same battery that the SL3 uses. 
Now it is great news to hear the camera, the camera, the new camera, the R6 is going to up the game a bit in battery life and performance by putting the larger LPE6 and H battery that will be the same battery used in the R5. So that's definitely exciting. You'll be able to get a lot more captures per charge when you're out in the field. So that's great for everybody. Further clarification of what will be announced by Canon in July. Some of this information has been reported already, but there are some additions here as well. This is coming again from CanonRumors.com. Most notably, a wireless transmitter and a battery group for the Canon EOS R5 and hopefully one for the R6 as well. So in July, we're expecting to hear from Canon that they're releasing the EOS R5 body, the EOS R5 with a 24 to 105 USM kit, the R6 body, the R6 body with the 24 to 105 STM kit, uh, the Canon EOS R6 with the 24 to 105 USM kit, which would be the L lens, the Canon WFT R10 A B C D E F. The Canon BGR10, the Canon LPE6 and H, the Canon RF100 to 500L, the Canon RF800 F11 and the 600 F11, Canon's Lens Hood ET-101, the Lens Hood ET-88B, Lens Hood ET-77, Canon Lens Case LZ1328 and LZ1435 as well as the Canon RF 1.4X and 2X tele-extenders and the tele-extender lens cap for the RF. There's a chance more will be added to this list, but he is not sure when the RF 51.8 and RF 85 F2 and the RF 70-200 F4 LIS are going to be available and if they're going to be part of the development announcement or not. He does expect the new lenses to be released at different times throughout the remainder of 2020. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what all Canon's going to drop on us next Thursday. Next up, the new Venus Optics Laowa 9mm f5.6 FFRL Ultra Wide Angle Rectilinear Lens for Nikon Z mount is now available for pre order. This new lens. Uh, for Nikon Z mount is available for pre-order at Adorama and B&H and will start accepting pre-orders later and other sites. The fastest way to get the lens is to pre-order it directly from the Venus Optics website. And I'll include a link to this article in the show notes. Sample photos are available as well. Venus Optics is going to announce two more Z mount lenses before the end of the year. The Venus Optics Laowa 11mm f4.5 and the Venus Optics Laowa 14mm f4. Venus Optics is also rumored to come up with a new line of fast F095 lenses that will be called Argus. Additional information on the new Laowa 9mm f5.6 lens for Nikon Z mount are included in this article. The focal length 9mm, maximum aperture f5.6, angle of view is 135 degrees, format compatibility is full frame, lens structure 14 elements in 10 groups, Aperture blades is 5, minimum focusing distance is 12 centimeters, max magnification is 0.21. It is a manual only lens. Uh, the dimensions are 62.4 by 66 millimeters. The weight is 350 gram. 
and it also comes in Leica M and L mount as well as Sony FE in addition to the Nikon Z mount. And there are also some uh, charts here, uh, the MFT chart, um, as well as a lens design diagram, diagram that you can check out for yourself. Like I said, I'll include a link to this article in the show notes for this episode. The Nikon AFS Nikkor 500mm f5.6 E PF ED VR Alphabet Soup lens now in stock at Adorama US and Park Cameras in the UK. This is as of June 29th, Monday of this week. The hard to find Nikon AFS Nikkor 500mm lens is now in stock at Adorama in the US and Park Cameras in the UK. Hurry, the last time the lens. Uh, this will be the last time the lens is sold, and the, or the last time the lens sold, it was sold out in a matter of minutes. So if you want to get one of these, you need to get over to one of those two sites right away and place your order before it's too late. Next up in Fuji, in the world of Fuji, a Samyang slash Rokinon 85mm f1.4 MK2 and a 14mm f2.8 MK2 manual focus lenses are available on pre-order. Now, these lenses are for the Fuji X-Mount, and this announcement came uh, today, July 1st. You can now pre-order either of these lenses at B&H Photo, Amazon US, or Adorama. The Rokinon 85mm f1.4 MK2, an apt telephoto prime for portraiture and other selective compositions. The Fujifilm X-Mount Rokinon 85mm is characterized by its fast f1.4 maximum aperture to suit working in low-light conditions and for controlling depth of field. The optical design incorporates one hybrid of spherical element that helps to reduce distortion and spherical aberrations for a high degree of sharpness and accurate rendering. An ultra multi-coating has also been applied to reduce flaring and ghosting to the extent that they can in order to achieve greater contrast and color fidelity. The manual focus design permits working with subjects as close as 3.6 feet away, and a rounded nine-blade diaphragm contributes to pleasing bokeh quality. Now for the 14mm f2.8 Mark II, mixing advanced optics and sophisticated handling, the Fujifilm X-Mount Rokinon uh, 14mm f2.8 Series 2 is an ultra-wide-angle prime that is specifically well-suited to astrophotography, architecture, and landscape shooting applications. Featuring 14 elements, 10-group optical design, this lens utilizes a series of a spherical, low-dispersion, and high-refractive index elements to reduce color fringing, aberration, and distortions for sharp, clear, and color-accurate imagery. An ultra multi-coating is also featured as well as a built-in pedal-shaped lens hood to suppress lens flare and ghosting for improved contrast when working in bright, direct lighting conditions. Complementing the imaging assets, manual focus operation with an internal focusing design is employed that permits working with subjects as close as 11 inches away. And the metal housing is weather sealed to permit working in inclement conditions. Additionally, a focus lock ring permits securing the focusing position to prevent accidental changes, and the aperture ring can also be declicked 
to better suit video applications. So that's definitely some exciting news for the Fuji X mount. Um, I've actually got the Rokinon uh, 85mm f1.4 for the Canon RF mount. And I also have the Rokinon 14mm autofocus uh, 2.8 for my real estate photography in the RF mount. And both of them are fantastic images that create beautiful, beautiful images. I've been very pleased with those lenses. Next up, Viltrox 85mm f1.8 MK2 for Fujifilm X has been released. And the Viltrox 56mm f1.4 is coming soon. Now, the uh, 85mm Mark II lens is already available at the Viltrox store and available for pre-order of B&H Photo, Amazon US, and Adorama. Viltrox has also said that the long-awaited Viltrox 56mm f1.4 will come soon. No precise time frame was given, however. The Viltrox 85mm f1.8 STM2 overview, distinguished by its updated sleeker and lighter weight design, the 85mm f1.8 XF2 is the second generation of this portrait length prime designed for Fujiframe X mount. Mirrorless cameras. The lens's short telephoto focal length pairs with the bright f1.8 design to suit working in a variety of lighting conditions and also for controlling depth of field and isolating subject matter. The optical design comprises one extra low dispersion element, one is spherical element, and four elements made from highly transparent glass, which all help to reduce chromatic and spherical aberrations in order to realize high clarity and sharpness. An HD nano multi-layer coating has also been applied to suppress flare and ghosting for improved contrast when working in strong lighting conditions. Additionally, the lens features an STM motor for quick, quiet autofocus performance, along with a minimum focusing distance of 2.6 feet for working with close-up subjects. Mark II of this lens sports a more svelte and lighter weight design for greater versatility and portability. Portrait Length Prime is designed for APS-C format Fujifilm X-mount mirrorless cameras and provides a 127.5 millimeter equivalent focal length in full frame. Bright F1.8 maximum aperture benefits working in difficult lighting conditions and also offers a wealth of control over focus position when using shallow depth of field techniques. One extra low dispersion element and four elements made from highly transparent glass contribute to reducing a variety of aberrations in order to produce well-corrected images with accurate color and no color fringing. One large diameter spherical element minimizes distortion of spherical aberrations in order to produce high sharpness and accurate rendering. The HD nano multi-layer coating has been applied to individual elements to reduce flare and ghosting for improved contrast. Also, this coating is water resistant to help protect the exposed surfaces from moisture. Uh, the STM autofocus motor, of course, is quick and quiet and precise for focusing and has a minimum focusing distance of 2.6 feet. Electronic contacts convey EXIF data as well as permit camera-based aperture selection. Additionally, an integrated USB port permits updating the lens's firmware. Rounded nine-blade diaphragm contributes to pleasing bokeh quality. Included lens hood shades the front element from flare, causing stray light, and also offers some additional physical protection. So that's definitely an exciting uh, bit of news with this new Viltrox 85mm Mark II lens. 
and it looks like it's going to be a pretty popular lens and it's reasonably priced as well i mean you could order for 399 dollars, which is not bad for a very high quality wide aperture 85 millimeter portrait lens so i have a feeling there'll be quite a few people snatching this one up okay so the last bit of news i have for you this week is an announcement from Fujifilm that new firmware, uh, firmware updates have been released for the following cameras. The GFX 50S version 4.0, the GFX 50R version 2.0, and the GFX 100 version 4.0. Now, I've always been confused. I own the 50R, of course, as I've talked about in previous episodes. I'm still confused as to why the 50S and the 100 are both on version 4 already, but the GFX 50R is only on version 2. And I was happy to get this email from Fuji earlier today because I kept looking on their website every so often. I was like, man, when are they going to release an updated firmware for this camera? They've updated the firmware on the S and the 100 numerous times since they released them. And the 50R hadn't gotten anything yet. But now it's uh, finally got a firmware update. I did install it on mine. Earlier today, um, it does give you some improvements to your autofocus, your eye detect autofocus, which is great. I haven't had a chance to test it out yet. It does add two additional uh, Fujifilm film simulations to the camera. The two new film simulation modes are classic negative mode and Eterna cinema mode, which replicates colors and tonality of Fujifilm's motion picture film. So that sounds really cool. It additionally uh, adds the smooth skin effect featured in the GFX 100, uh, making it available on the 50R, smoothing the appearance of human skin, ideal for portraiture. As I mentioned, it improves autofocus performance. Number one, in addition to low light priority AFS mode, extending exposure time during autofocus to improve AF accuracy in low light. Number two, improvement of face and eye detect autofocus performance. The face, eye detection, accuracy, and stability are improved when shooting multiple people so as to make portrait photography easier than ever before. Three, auto mode will be added to focus bracketing. Specify the starting and ending points and shooting interval, and the camera can automatically determine the number of frames and steps required. Expanding various other functions requested by customers. Number one, the firmware will allow users to adjust exposure settings, shutter speed, aperture value, ISO sensitivity, exposure compensation for still images from a computer when using software that supports some tether shooting functions. Two, more photo editing applications will support the import of rating information assigned in the camera. Three, the maximum number of photos that can be saved in each folder on an SD card will increase tenfold from 999 to 9,999. That's awesome. And number four, when setting the color temperature in the white balance setting, the value of the color temperature is also displayed, which is cool. And number four, fix of minor bugs. And I'll include a link to this article in the show notes. Uh, so you can download the firmware 2.0 your, uh, for yourself if you have the GFX 50R. I'll also include the links to download the version 4 firmware for the 50S as well as the GFX 100. If you happen to own either of those two bodies, you'll be set as well. 
All right, that is going to wrap up episode 79 of the Land Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing, and Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you might be listening to the show. And to remind you to check out the Land Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group, but you can request to join. You only have to answer one question to get in, and that is name the host of the show, which is myself, Liam Douglas. I've also opened it up so you can give the names of any of the guests I've had on the show uh, since it started in the last year or so, uh, which would include Ruben Naha, Jill Mott, John Harvell, Ellie Cat, as well as her boyfriend and partner in adventure dan um, you could also give the name of jeff Harmon from the master photography and photo taco podcast and as a reminder next week in episode 80 i will be joined by brett bergram from the master photography and latitude photography podcast and we will be talking about travel photography for those of you that are interested in that we will be discussing that next week. I'm really excited and really looking forward to it. Ber, uh, Brent, uh, excuse me, sorry. Brent uh, does some fantastic travel photography. He's been to some really cool places, including uh, this past winter, his first trip to Unalaska, Alaska, which is way up north <laughs> where it gets extremely cold. So you'll definitely want to tune in for that. Also watch the Facebook group for the announcement of the official summer contest kickoff, which will be coming probably in August where the show will be giving away a tripod to one lucky winner. Now, remember, you can call or text the show at 470-294-8191. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for a future episode, that you something you would like covered or somebody you'd like to try to me, me to try to get as a guest, you can do that via text or voicemail. You can also email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and I will see you again in another seven days for episode 80. Mm -hmm.